Jesus, we ask uh, for a certain amount of gentleness today and of uh, a powerful message, Lord God, that's not from me, that's not from uh, something that I have concocted, but Lord Jesus, it is just from your word and from your spirit. And God, I pray that it would be a blessing to every single one of us, but especially those who are wives or those who are going to be wives or those who know a wife somewhere. And so, Lord, we pray for all of these uh, different scenarios, and I pray you would cause this to rethink everything we know about your love and about how you bring blessing into our lives. Jesus, we thank you so much for the, the treasured souls that are in this room, how you cared for us so much that even if it was just these people in this room, you would have died on the cross as our substitute. God, we turn to you in full assurance of faith, believing, God, that you have mercy on us and that you will pour out grace upon all those who turn to you and call upon your name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, did you know that there are 13,500, on average, weddings in America every day? 13,000. And my question is, what are they all thinking? Why? Because marriage is tough. Last Sunday, I went out to lunch with a couple married couples from church, and they were describing how their spouses had problems sleepwalking. And one guy, who is here but I will not mention, uh, woke up about a week after they got married with his wife beating him with her fists, bludgeoning him, destroying his face. And as she beat on him, he tried to wake her up, but to no avail. And he finally just had to kind of wrestle her and, and hold her until she fell back asleep. And when she woke up in the morning, he asked her about it. And she said, was that real? Hmm. And another, the other couple we were with, the husband frequently does crazy things while sleeping. And uh, one time he actually pulled his wife across the bed to save her from what he thought was like a collapsing building or a car or a train or something like that. And that was just two out of two when I was having lunch last week. And that's just when these couples are asleep. Marriage can be dangerous. In 1989, Melvin Abel, a retired Minnesota real estate agent, was in, uh, deep in a dream of wrestling a reindeer, a, a wounded deer that he had shot while hunting. And Abel choked his wife half to death before her cries of protest finally woke him up. So marriage can be quite tough, even when you're sleeping. And it's been overheard that marriage is nature's way of keeping people from fighting with strangers. And my favorite president, Abraham Lincoln, said, marriage is neither heaven nor hell. It's simply purgatory. It gets worse. Globally, 35% of all women that are murdered are killed by their husbands. And 5% of men. So only 5% of men are killed. So women, if you want to get away with something, you're not the first place they're going to look. And I think last week during lunch we were talking about ice picks and the... Never mind. You didn't hear that at church. Can't get away with nothing in the eyes of the Lord. Just remember that. So with all this trouble that comes into our lives because 
of marriage or along with marriage, you might think it's crazy to even mess with it. So why are 13,500 people every day in this country deciding to get married? Well, the answer is different depending on who you are. If you're an unbeliever, you might think it's honorable or safe or just the way things work. You never really thought too much about it. Or it's a good way to get ahead in the world or, or to have someone make you dinner or provide for you money or pleasure or even someone to just be companions with. But a believer has a, a much different view on marriage. Christians are to marry as part of a life that glorifies God. By pouring out your life for the sake of another. Marriage is the most practical way to demonstrate to the world and to yourself that you are following Jesus Christ. Now look with me in Mark chapter 9 and look at verse 33. It says, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, uh, he asked them, What is it that you disputed amongst yourselves on the road? So as they were following Jesus, his disciples were following him, and he wanted to know what was on their mind as they were following him. And us in here, we are following the Lord. And verse 34, but they kept silent, for on the road they disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Or in other words, they were thinking, how could, how could we do the best job following Jesus? Who amongst us is really following him the best? I mean, they knew there was going to be rewards for following him. Jesus talked about that all the time. But they really wanted to know, how could we do the best job following Jesus? And he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and a servant of all. Jesus doesn't give them a tongue lashing or a discipline when they just want to be the best followers that they can be. A lot of people look at this and they say, you know, oh, Jesus is totally mad at them because They're just thinking about what they can get out of following him. Well, there is truth to, there will be rewards for following him. And he doesn't discipline him. In fact, he teaches them how to do it. If you want to follow me, if you really want to be rewarded at the end of your life, this is how to do it. And he doesn't say you need to be a pastor or a missionary or really, you know, or or really suffer to get the biggest prize in heaven. He turns it around and he explains that the the greatest prizes or the most honor or the largest mansions or the most wonderful rewards will be for those who serve the most. Those who see every single person as one whom they can serve. And we read recently in a previous study, Matthew chapter 25, and I'm not going to have you turn there now because we were just recently there. But it tells us in detail how this judgment will be explained. And that Jesus will show all the servants how they served him and loved him by serving kids and and people who couldn't repay them. And then he will show the false followers, the fake believers, how they did not serve him and they did not love him because they ignored all the people around him. And in that story in Matthew 25, they're sent to hell 
because the relationship with Jesus was fake. It was fake. And so these serving relationships are seen as the test by Jesus of whether a person knows him and loves him. These serving relationships. Well, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Marriage, marriage is the best opportunity that you and I have to outwardly see the power of these serving relationships in our life. To have the greatest reward at the end of your life. To please Jesus Christ and to love him in the best way possible. To make him the most happy. Marriage is the best opportunity. Now, you don't have to be married to serve people. So why is marriage a better opportunity to serve? Because serving someone on the street or if you work with the homeless or just serving people at your work, it may have its challenges, but you never have to go home and sleep in the same bed as the homeless person, as I hope not. You don't have to take the people from your work home. You get to get away. But you never get away from your spouse. At least you shouldn't. They are always there. And they are not always perfect or even pleasant. In fact, you often have to deal with the absolute worst part of your spouse's personality and their bodies and their flesh and everything that comes with it. And when they're tired and when they're burnt out and when they're angry and when they're venting and when they're just taking out the stress of their day, it's on you. And it's in those times when you and I can really honor the Lord and make him happy by lovingly serving them. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus, on his face, on his love, and our marriages will be transformed. Our relationships, even at work, even if you're not married, if you're single, your relationships will be transformed by keeping your eyes on his face. Many people pay hundreds of dollars for marriage counseling, but here at church, we offer it for free. God says that wisdom is actually calling out to us from the Bible. And his word has a lot to say about marriage and how to make it better. And if you ever call us, and I would hope that you would feel comfortable calling us, calling me, call my cell phone, send me an email if you ever have a trouble in a relationship, and I can help with the word of God. That's my role. And, or any church. You can call Calvary Roar. You can call Calvary Live on 89.7. You can just go to the word yourself, but there is help for your marriage here. God's word can help us. And if you're preparing to get married, we go through a premarital. We offer that, and it's free. Or if you're in trouble in your marriage now, if you already have a bad one, we can help. See, Christians get married for the Lord, not for themselves. That's the crazy thing. That's the difference. That should be the difference between believers and unbelievers. We get married for the Lord, whereas unbelievers get married for any other reason. So, let's see in Ephesians chapter 5, go ahead and turn back over there, 
how Jesus wants to give us the best opportunity to honor him. The uh, buzz term in, in work things today is best practices. These are kind of like the best practices for gaining treasure in heaven. The best way for your life to be a picture to the unbelieving world around you of God's love and serving and submissive heart through marriage. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 is where we start. And it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wives get the absolute best opportunity to achieve great status in heaven because of the nature of their role. It's close to Jesus' heart. As we learned last week, last week we studied about submission in general and how he said the verse before the, what we read just now is all, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. And we learned about submission and how it was God's heart and God demonstrated submission as Jesus submitted to the Father's will in going to the cross and everything. And that sometime millions of years ago, the Father said, well, who's going to die for all the people? And he looked at Jesus and said, would you? And Jesus, in his submissive heart, said, I will. I will do what you ask, and I will not complain. And he died for us. And the whole story of the Bible just speaks of that and shows that clearly. And we saw Satan. We contrasted Satan's heart of rebellion and how every time in our life where we have a choice to submit or to rebel, we're actually following either Jesus' heart or Satan's heart. And that's why it's so important. That's why it's so vital for us to follow Jesus. So if you missed that study, check it out. It was vital to understanding this. And that's why we did, we spent a whole week on that so that the blow of this wouldn't be so harsh. So that we'd understand that we're just following Jesus. We're just following him. But wives can have multiple opportunities a day to honor God by simply submitting to their husbands in everything, it says. In everything. Obviously, if your husband is mean or a jerk, you don't have to listen to him. Actually not. That's not what the Bible just said. Or if I disagree with the ridiculous things he says. Nope. Sorry. The only exceptions would be is if he's asking you to sin, to dishonor the Lord. He's physically abusive or he's adulterous, therefore, therefore has ended your marriage. Or he dies. Those are your exceptions. But we won't spend a ton of time thinking about those or working on those. If you're in those situations, you know it. So if you're not married, keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. When you're signing, what you're signing up for when you get married is serving. So be looking for a guy, ladies, single ladies, looking for a guy who, look for a guy who is on mission 
to glorify God. That he's on a mission everywhere he goes and what he's doing is about the Lord. He just wants to serve the Lord. Because serving, getting married to him and serving him will mean double rewards for you. Not only will you be serving God by just submitting to him, but you'll be getting rewards of assisting him in his mission. And it's going to be amazing for you if your husband, it will be a blessing to you. David Guzak says, submission does not mean inferiority. As well as submission does not mean silence. Submission means submission. There is a mission for a Christian marriage. And that mission is obeying and glorifying God. The wife says, I'm going to put myself under that mission. That mission is more important than my individual desires. And I am not putting myself below my husband. I'm putting myself below the mission that God has for our mission, that God has for our marriage and for my life. So it's a submission, if you could, if you want to look at it that way. And what Paul says is that when a Christian wife excels at this ministry of submission, she gets to be a part of evangelizing the whole world. They explain, these, these submissive wives, they explain by example how that we as the church, how we follow the Lord and we submit to his voice, and he in turn provides all we need for salvation. They get to be a part of the ministry. How many people's Decisions to follow Jesus Christ are because of what they observed in the life of a woman or their mother. Following Jesus in humility and faith. But the world today nearly loses their mind when you say the word submission. They go bonkers. And it's not even true what they think that it means. It's not about weakness at all. It's about responding to the love of Jesus by loving the exact same way. Submitting. Both husbands and wives are called to die to self. Submission is the way that a wife does it. Both husbands and wives are called to service. And submission is the way that a wife does that. Both husband and wives are called to see their marriage as a model of Jesus' relationship with the church. And submission is the way the wife honors that model. Both husband and wife are called to honor the order of creation. And submission is the way that a wife fulfills her place in that order. And both husband and wife are called to be motivated by the love and command of Jesus. And submission is the way that a wife does that. And the word that really helps us to understand submission, at this submission ministry of wives, is the word respect. Your husband was created with a huge deficiency. And all the wives say amen to that. A built-in emptiness. And your ministry, if you choose to accept it, is to pour into your husband the respect that he has a desperate need for. He doesn't have to earn it. He is an empty reservoir of loving respect designed to be filled by you. And you're the only person that can truly fill it. His boss might think he's awesome. His employees might say, you're the greatest. But nothing touches 
what it means to a husband when his wife says, I believe in you, and I trust you, and you're awesome, and I love you. In all these ways that a wife can minister to her husband, you are filling him up so that he can be what he's supposed to be. Ah, but he's a jerk. He doesn't deserve it. I know. I'm not telling you. This is how to have a great marriage. This isn't what you do after you have a great marriage. It's the way to get a great marriage. Start respecting your husband, wives. And you will see a change in him. We'll get to the husband's part in a minute. You might be thinking, oh, but he's got all these problems. I agree. He's got all these problems. But the way to get him out of that is by causing him to feel complete. Let me ask you this. Does Jesus have any lack of love and respect for your husband? And the answer is no. What kind of value does Jesus place on your husband? And the answer to that question is he values your husband so much that he would A, die for him, send his only son, sacrifice his only son for your husband, your stinky, disrespectful husband. God thinks enough of to send his only son. Number two, God gave him the best woman in the entire world, which is you. Perfectly designed for him. That's crazy. That's an amazing love. You, God has such an amazing respect and love for your husband. Can you give the same? Can you see your husband in a different light? That he's acting all weird because he's not fulfilled. He's not there yet. He's not yet completed. And you can be a part of that process. This is the way to get a, a, a great marriage. Marriage is never a 50-50 thing. A lot of people think about marriage that way. They say marriage is just 50-50. I gave my 50%, now she needs to give her 50%. And she says, I've washed dishes and I took care of the kids all day and this is my 50%. I probably gave 65%. But that always leads to a failed marriage every time. Marriage, in God's point of view, is 100% from each person. The wife, 100% committed to loving respect, and the husband, well, he's to be 100% committed to self-sacrificing love and leadership, which we're going to talk about next week. So wives, make sure you drag your husbands in and get him in here. This will be awesome for him. But as we kind of draw this study to a, a finality, I want to draw your attention to our deficiency. We cannot do this. We cannot lovingly submit or lovingly lead each other. It is impossible. Maybe if we had the very power of God working inside us, but our own efforts will mess this up every single time. Turn with me to John chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John chapter 13. We're going to be in John 13 and 14 for the rest of our time together. And at the end of John chapter 13, we'll, we'll start in verse 34. Jesus says, A new command I give you, that you love one another. 
So Jesus is saying, remember those Ten Commandments? Forget them. There's a new way, a new deal. This is all you need to know, all you need to focus on. All that God is calling you to do and be is going to be wrapped up here. Love one another. Well, to what extent, to what measure? He says, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So how did Jesus love us? What's the extent? What's the measure of this love we're supposed to have that, that completely takes care of the Ten Commandments? Well, to be totally self-sacrificing. That's Jesus' love. To submit, to, uh, to submit will require a fair amount of self-sacrifice, wives. And Jesus knows a thing or two about sacrificing self, doesn't he? He's pretty good at it. He demonstrated it. Verse 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So he says, this is the singular way that people around you will know that you're saved and that you're a servant of God. But Simon Peter, our buddy Simon Peter, such a great, great man of God, but at this point, he, he just says the, the most wonderful things that just get us on a great trail here. He says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, I'm, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterwards. So Peter's smart, and he's realizing that Jesus is like packing a suitcase or something, and, and he realizes that Jesus is leaving town. Or maybe it's just the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to be killed tomorrow and crucified. But that's a, that's a problem to Peter. That's not okay with Peter. Because Jesus, as Peter knows, is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the only way victory can come. This is the only way that Peter knows that he can be loving or he can have victory in his own life is by being with Jesus. When he's with Jesus, he never really fails. And when he's with Jesus, there's no fear and there's no doubt. But without Jesus, Peter knows that the future looks bleak, looks bad. And so Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. <laughs> Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Poor, poor Peter. He thought that Jesus was looking for an emotional commitment. He said he would be willing to die for Jesus and I'm sure that he meant it. But what Jesus wanted from Peter was different. He wanted Peter and all of us to be able to love one another, to be equipped to love one another, to focus on love loving one another. Peter's love was based on an emotional feeling. And Jesus is teaching him that he wants true love, not emotional love, true love. He knew that Peter would be unable at this point in Peter's life to love. He knew he'd be unable. Peter had what all men have, all women have. You know what that is? 
a desire. But the desire falls so short of God's commands. God's old commands or his new one. His old ones, those Ten Commandments. No matter how much someone desired to keep them, they never could. And his new one, to just love self-sacrificially, impossible with just a desire. A desire always ends up in failure. And if you want to experience that failure, all you have to do is try as hard as you can in your marriage. Just try really super duper hard. Put all your effort in, all your desire, and your marriage will crash and burn around you. Even if you're totally compatible, you could say you will peter out. Ha! Nailed it. That was awesome. Because Peter, effort, love, oh, never mind. This is just great. You could try as much as you can to love. You could be just like Peter and say, I'd die for you, baby. It sounds romantic. It's how all the action movies end. But a love based on emotional desire is not self-sacrificial. It is not born of the spirit. It is born of the flesh. And what happens when that desire runs out, when the flesh runs out, of strength when the fuel runs when the fuel gauge of love runs on empty what happens the first time the object of your affection is quite unlovable the first time they act like a jerk to you or the reservoir of your love runs dry after years and years and years of disappointment what happens then i'll tell you what happens people get divorced People give up. But this isn't where this ends because it goes to John chapter 14. The next verse is John chapter 14, and we're going to read a little bit here in John 14 because there's a solution to this. There's a different way to have a marriage than just emotional commitment, than just Peter's declaration of, I love you and I'll die for you. And Jesus is like, no, you don't. No, you don't, Peter, but you will. You absolutely will. First, Jesus says, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going ahead of us. He's been our example, and he's, he's about to be something more. Look in ver chapter 14. Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So Jesus is saying, number one, we will be reunited. Don't worry, it's going to be okay, Peter. Number two, I am more concerned with your eternal experience than your temporary comfort. I know you love hanging out with me, Peter. I love hanging out with you too. But I need to worry about your heaven. I need to go prepare mansions. And there's some work to do here on earth too. So look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, 
I love Thomas. He says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. So Thomas says what we would have said, what we would have all been thinking at that time. What are you talking about, Jesus? We don't know the way. The way is hidden from us. We've just been walking around with you for the past three years, and we never saw a sign saying this way to heaven. And Jesus says, bro, that's exactly right. Following me is the way to heaven. Just follow me. Just follow me. Well, but you're leaving. Ah, but I'm still the way. I'm still the way. So look at verse 8. Philip then says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will suffice us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? And the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Philip basically is saying, isn't God all we need? And Jesus explains, I am God. I have proven it to you by my works, by the extreme love that I have shown, by the self-sacrificial love that I demonstrate on a daily basis. No man could be as loving as I am. I can prove it to you because I'm loving. I can prove to you I'm God because I'm loving. And Philip would have to look back over the years following Jesus. And he would say, yes, Jesus, you have been loving. You've been more loving than anyone I've ever known. You have sacrificed yourself at every turn for me. See, Jesus' question was, haven't you known me, Philip? Philip, I've known you. I know you're a goober. I know that you're sinful. And I've loved you. I've still loved you. I've made a decision to self-sacrificially love you. And Philip, would you, would you know me? Can you, can you turn that around? And can you come and just follow me, Philip? Trust me. Now look at verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than, he's, he, than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. So he says, the works that I have done, you will do. Any work that you want to do that's loving, that are works like Jesus' work, Jesus' works that he, ha that he begged Philip to look at. Philip, look at these works that I've done. Haven't they been loving? Haven't I sacrificed myself for you? And you haven't even seen the best part yet. All those works 
God says, Jesus says, if you want that, I'll give it to you. I will enable you. I will equip you. Anything you want that will enable you to be faithful to honor God, Jesus will enable you to do it. Anything you want to do that's loving, Jesus will give you the love to do it. Any commandment you want to obey because you love Jesus, Jesus will give you the power and strength if you're good enough. No. Where's the tomatoes? Throw them at me. That's not right. It's not if you're good enough. Wake up. It is not if you're good enough. Who does he give this to? Who does he give all this ability to do these works, or you call it grace? Who does he give that to? Those who ask him. Well, how does that work? I don't understand. You just ask him and magically you have it? Look at the next verse. And I will pray the Father. If you ask me, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. What Peter needed was not to try harder or want it more or be more emotionally committed to Jesus Jesus was not looking for a promise maker. He was looking for an asker. What Peter needed was the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, which would make him truly able to love, to love God and love others. The Spirit. Our marriages need the Holy Spirit, not our trying harder, not our emotional pleas. Baby, I love you. Stop acting like this. Not our statements of commitment, the actual Holy Spirit of God enabling us to lay our lives down for each other. And we get that by engaging with Jesus himself. You don't get it by trying harder. You get it by simply asking Jesus in humility and faith, saying, God, I need you so much to lay my life down. Wives, I need you so much to submit to this goober of a guy that I have. Husbands, we'll talk about you next week. We need to have a conversation with Jesus every day and ask him to specifically send us the grace to love our spouse in the way that he wants us to. For wives, it means to ask him for the grace to live in submission. And for husbands, your ministry is so impossible that any day you attempt to be a husband without begging God for help is going to be a complete and utter failure. You might not see it now, but you'll see it on the back end. You will. Husbands, just wait. 
Just wait till next week and we'll see how God, what God has in store for you. But as we close, if your marriage is in trouble and you think in your mind, if my, if my wife only heard this message, oh boy, or I'm going to get my husband to hear next week's message because oh boy, I, I ask you humbly and gently to get your eyes off of them and get them on to Jesus and yourself. You can live in submission today, no matter what your husband is doing. And that's an impossible thing to say. The only way I can even stand up here and say such a brash and almost, it seems like, cruel thing is by saying just look to Jesus and follow his example. He'll enable you. And you will have so much joy in your heart from knowing that your Savior looks down on you and says, well done. You look just like me. You look just like me. Wives, you are truly blessed if you honor the Lord on a daily basis. You please the Lord so much and I encourage you to see how much you can please the Lord. It's hard, I know, it's hard. But our flesh desires to be served and the Spirit desires to serve. So let's ask right now that the Lord would fill us with this Holy Spirit. Let's all stand up. And with our, with our eyes closed and in an in in attitude of humility before our Maker, Lord Jesus, we come to you and we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit. We understand now how it's good for you to go away, even though, Lord Jesus, you are our love and everything that we need. You are our Savior and you're, you're the only focus of our lives. God, we love you, Jesus. We need you. We want you to come back. But, Lord, your Spirit is so good the enabling and the equipping of your spirit inside us draws us towards submissive serving. And Lord, we need that power. We need that ability to love because we do not have it inside us right now. Jesus, we ask specifically that you would send your spirit into our hearts to enable us to love. And with all our eyes closed, if you've been thinking, I do not even know Jesus. I've never called upon Jesus to save me. And I'm tired of living this life on my own. And I need a God who's willing to be my substitute and show his love first. And I want to respond to that. And I invite you to call upon Jesus right now. And to say, God, I need you. And God, I believe that you came down and we're my substitute. And God, I, I don't know what all this means, but I want to follow you. I believe that you love me, and I believe you are my sacrifice, and I repent of my life, my way, and I want to follow your way, Jesus. And if you've prayed that and you believe, and you have absolute assurance that you are now saved, redeemed, and bought 
with the very blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. He, he poured it out to pay for you. And you have that. And if you did pray that, I would love for you to come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to encourage you and pray for you, just get you connected. But for all the believers in here, we need the Holy Spirit more today than we did yesterday. More for this week than we did before. Our church needs the Holy Spirit. We have needs and we have struggles. But our God is so able to equip us with everything that we need. And so, Lord, we ask you, Jesus, to send us help, to send us your grace. We pray for the Christians who are persecuted right now over the world, and we pray you would strengthen them, send them more love than they can contain. Let them bless their persecutors. Let them honor their marriages, even the ones that are falling apart. Let them die in glory and receive so much honor when they come into your presence. We pray for them, God. And we pray you would change our lives today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.